Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Richest Men in Town podcast. I'm Mike Freeman, and along with my good friend and co-host, Tyler Gould, we're excited to welcome you to our little podcast project. Tyler and I are just a couple of middle-aged husbands and dads driven to live our best lives. We want to be better every day, so here we'll be sitting down with great people, not famous people, but great people that we admire, to learn their secret to living the rich life. Probably not the rich life you're thinking of. Our guests come in humbled and surprised at the invitation and hopefully leave feeling proud and grateful, realizing just how good they really have it. So pull up a chair, stay a while, and raise a glass with us as we toast our guests to the richest men in town. Mike Freeman, we welcome our guests to yet another episode of the richest men in town. We uh, had some time today to spend with uh, someone I've known a long time, Gus Koenig and talk about his journey and his life. And, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, it, it was, there was some real depth in, in some of the things that Gus taught today. What's, what's standing out to you from our conversation? First of all, one of the best names of any guests we've had. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> Gus Koenig showed up, crushed it. Um, I, I love that. I love that description. He's a word guy and, uh, he's, he's able to, uh, walk us through that journey and that path, but he talks about a rich vein. I did love that too. Yeah. You know, like a rich vein and let's mine in that. And I think that he just gave us so much to mine. And, and again, in true richest men in town fashion, it's like, where did the two hours go? Yeah. Yeah. Where did the two hours go? There were so many things where it's like, man, I would love to circle back and, and revisit. I love the, I love the way that his thoughts and the things he added to our conversation added to what we were thinking coming into the space. Yeah. Right. We're thinking about change and he's, he's telling us he's in a community college in his sixties. Oh man. Yeah. Let that sink in people. Right. Yeah. He's hanging out at uh, Mesa community college and he's like 62, 63 years old taking classes. And he says in that experience, the grades that he got changed the way he saw himself. Yeah, I love that idea. 60s. Yeah, like finding I, I just love that idea of him talking about finding successes and letting those be embracing what you're good at, right? And he and what he wasn't good at when he was in his 20s, he became good at in his 60s. I just love that idea of 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 wipe of the, the timeline. Yeah. Wipe the timeline, figure out what you're good at and grow that. Yeah. Right? Grow the good. You want to write, sit down at a typewriter, start banging keys. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, there were some things tonight that, that he talked about. He, you know, the, he, he talked about his children and that he put together a list of things that, that are important in raising children. And I'm not going to talk about that. You'll have to listen to hear that, but, it oh, was but he powerful. straight up says, get your pen ready, write this down. Yeah. Cause this is the list. And, uh, and, and he was spot on. Cause it, it, it made me change my list a little bit. So oh, it made me change what I'm going to do after I'm off the phone with you. Right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. I mean, like I gotta, I gotta call, I gotta make, I gotta make a few things happen as a result. And that's how I know I'm in a cool space. As I'm listening to Gus, I'm thinking about me. Like he says, right. I'm with me all the time. Yeah. And, and if we are struggling with hope, man, Gus is going to give it to you. Oh, for sure. Gus is going to give you some hope. And part of that hope comes from looking back, looking yeah. back and seeing what, what has happened and how things, 
you know, how we were able to overcome some things and, you know, and God's been good to us in the past and he's going to be good to us in the future and things will work out. I love that message. Yeah. The, the, the message of hope, the message of, of, you know, we talked about comparison a little bit. We talked about bad wiring, bad wiring, removing debris. (laughs) I mean, there was a lot of good things covered tonight by Gus. So, you know, hopefully Mike, you showed your notes to Gus and I, uh, and it was, it looked a little bit like uh, a beautiful mind, you know, but uh, (laughs) I think there's some nuggets in there, right. For us to find. So hopefully our listeners will, will come, come prepared with a piece of paper and a pencil, take some notes, but at the end of it, look at those notes and find something that you can implement today because Gus dropped some science on us. So enjoy your time with Gus Koenig on The Richest Men in Town. So Tyler, I step into The Richest Men in Town uh, studio this morning, Yeah, and it has become a rap studio. Oh, I love that. This Eddie is Freeman is a uh, rap God in training. He's laying down tracks. Yeah. Like he's using our audible. He's using my mic. He's got a buddy and they've been dropping, uh, dropping rhyme. Oh man. D- Dennis, he have a stage Spittin name. Spitting verse. What's, what's his name? What, like, how was he go by here? I don't know, but actually he played it for me last night. It's good. I want to hear it. You know, you like, got to send good. it to me. I know. I want. I. I have no doubt. I want to hear it, man. There's no way I could like just play it for you, right? Without him, no. Like that'd be bad because this thing. I mean, it could go viral. Like you know. There's- yeah, but I do think that you know there's an opportunity for like a you know. We got. I think he needs to debut it here. You know what I mean? I agree. Come let's on, bring, now. Let's bring him on the podcast and let's debut this stuff because let's it's actually go. like I was bracing myself, right? Yeah. You know. When the kids come to you and it's like, hey, dad, check this out. And you're just bracing yourself because it's like you got to have that face, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like this, but I was this. blown away. He's got uh-huh. a buddy. Yeah. Him and his buddy. And it started out as one song. Okay. Going to YouTube and getting free free tracks, like free yeah. tunes. Yep. I'm hoping that's royalty free tunes. Let's hope so. Right. Hey, because right now, who cares at this point? Right. 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 He needs to take our legal advice and you just go until you get a letter from a lawyer and then you feel flattered. Yeah. Come on now. Right. If Dre is uh, is sending you a lawyer or sending you a letter because you got some stuff that's serious enough for him to look at, then, yeah, things things are looking good. You know, <laughs> and the uh, the lyrics, the lyrics are uh, witty, downright oh. borderline lyrical genius. I'm I'm really excited to hear this and tell Abe if I don't get in the invite to listen, I'm going to be seriously offended. Yeah, let's go because he can't go. He can't go social media. He's got to debut it here. Absolutely, right? absolutely. I agree, hundred percent. Right. I'm gonna book this guy. I'm gonna book him. Let's do it. And uh, and I got a confession to make. Vulnerable space here. Okay. Chess.com, dude. The addiction's back. <laughs> oh no, dude. Had a flare up. <laughs> had a relapse big time i've probably been playing two to three hours of chess every day wow and i knew i had a problem when uh last night on my way out dramatic come from behind victory on my way out the guy chatted up dude you got so lucky and i started yelling at my phone (laughs) well Mike, I started yelling at my phone and I might have even done a uh, teabag stance. 
here in the house. <laughs> well, the good so look, step that, one at is that time. Kelly looked at me at that time. Kelly looked at me and I realized I've lost control. Yeah. She says, are you arguing with your virtual friends? <laughs> <laughs> I said, I said, no, you are prey is not my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized that might be the dumbest thing I've ever said. But here's how it started, right? Yeah. I get a new computer and I'm and I'm learning I'm learning about the computer. Right. And I see that it's got a chess game. Oh, there it is. Gateway. It's like you said the other day, you know, some people can can throw a, a, a quarter in a slot and then it becomes their thing. And some people just turn on flip on the computer and there's chess staring at them. And that's yeah. their thing, man. Yeah, and here's the kicker for me. Like whatever genetic code I'm struggling with, yeah. when I clo- when I shut it off, guess what I'm thinking about? Chess. Yeah. Open yeah. moves, right? Strat yeah. like yeah. Struggles real. So guess so this morning you deleted the urge. deleted it from my phone and we're back on the wagon trying to All right, man. Out. And that's, that's appropriate because we've been thinking, right? Yeah. We've got we've got uh we've got some fun that we're going to have with a friend of yours today yeah. and uh, leading into the conversation. We've been thinking about this, this change struggle, right? Yeah. Yeah. Struggle is real, man. I mean, it's like, it's unavoidable, but you made some good points when we were kind of talking back and forth about this, maybe pacing yourself through change, you know, I mean, some change we have no control over, right. It just comes at us and we, we either choose to, you know, to, to make the necessary adjustments or we sort of get run over like a wave, right? It just goes over the top of us. But sometimes we get, we get caught up in this idea that there's certain things that we want to change about ourselves or about our situations. And it's uh, maybe, you know, maybe it's just uh, we're overanalyzing and we get, we get uh, paralysis from the, I what, love we can, that. what we look at is too much change, right? Yeah, I love that thought of paralysis because I think the key word you said there is things about ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, I, I think that you and I are in the habit, thanks to Monk Manual, of uh, checking in. Yeah, right, checking in on the different roles that we have and responsibilities in our lives and the different aspects of our lives. You know, and and it's like golf's right. Some days you're crushing it off the tee and you can't hit a three foot putt. Yeah, and right. Some days you just get on the you just get anywhere on the green and stuff's going in. So um I, I struggle with that paralysis. I don't know about you, but every once in a while, and this is where I'm at, like honestly, right now, everything I look at is a loose end. Yeah. yeah. Everything I look at is something somebody's expecting me to tie up and get done. Yeah. And when you look out there at that, at that the bogeys on that radar screen you start to, you start to freeze. Right. And then you start to get into like, where do I even, where do I even start? Yeah. You know, there's so many things about myself that I would like to change. There are some things that are rolling and thanks to this program, honestly, there are some people that I've met. There's some conversations that I've had and there are some things, there's some changes that have taken root and I'm appreciative and I'm grateful for that. And there are some aspects of my life I wouldn't change for nothing. Sure. Yeah. But there's some aspects like those side yards everybody's got, right? Where it's like, man, I got to get, I got to get going on that. And then it's like, okay, and I got to get going on that. And I got to get going on that. And then pretty soon, pretty soon we've got, we've got 17 things we're trying to change. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I, and I think, look, I mean, if, if we're all, you know, if everyone's honest, right there and you're compiling a list, it's a list, right? I mean, if we're honest, it, it becomes a list. It's how we attack the list. Well, yeah. and, and, and when you say list, like change isn't a to-do list, right? It's a project list. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's multiple steps involved in the changes. Yeah. Like if we're looking at finances or relationships or physical health it's not like a okay sweet went to the y i'm done check yeah right right no and and i think that's where the problem is is when there's when there's when there's kind of initiative overload nothing takes root because you can't maintain and establish the habits that uh that you need to actually make that change yeah yeah and then, and then the the other and I like that a lot. I like that a lot. That that it's you don't give it enough time for those those new practices to take root and and become something where you can see measurable change, right? But I also think there's this I you know that you know going back to that idea of change that happens that's out of your control, right? Like I have this idea of adaptability, you know, and being able to say, well how do I adjust and, 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 uh, and embrace this change that, that, that I'm faced with? I, I don't know. I mean, that's a, maybe that's a, a learned skill as well. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking of like, there's these two things and I'm thinking of Brian Grove. Like, let's try to hold these two thoughts yeah, right. at once. Right. There's an urgency about it, but yet change requires patience. Yeah. Right. So somebody comes to you, or a life situation presents itself and it's like, oh my goodness, this is going to require me to change. Yeah. I got to jump. And then you jump in with urgency. And at the same time, we have to acknowledge that that change, that desired outcome is going to be a result of time, right? Yeah. Patience, patience uh, with ourselves, patience with other people, other people having patience with us as we go through this change, communicating yeah. with the people that matter to us about the fact that we need to change. Yeah, I, I liked that. You know, one of the things we you, you mentioned this morning was that idea of getting real and accurate feedback, right, about change and being Ooh. accountable to someone. I, I like that a lot. I mean, it's, sometimes it's tough to hear, but I think if you're if you're embracing that process, it's not as tough to hear, right? Because you're you're anticipating that. Like, tell me where I'm off the the rails a little bit here. Okay, and get ready, right? right? And yeah. get ready. It's like companionship inventory. Yeah. <laughs> like, like uh, a, a shout out to coworkers that I have, and I'm in a new spot, new position, and I'm throwing some things out there, and I say something like, "Yeah, I, I know that I'm really struggling with this," and they'll say, uh, "Yeah, I can see that." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, and you know, you know you've got to be in a humble place where it's like, all right, help me, yeah, right, help me get better, and then and then too, the thought is, help me put systems in place, yeah, right, yeah. because systems are going to endure a lot better than just than, than just willpower, yeah, you know, like like yeah. here's here's an here's an analogy. In my backyard, I got a corner where I don't know what's going sprinkler right? Sprinkler isn't working. Right. We look out there and there's a patch of brown. It's like, all right, well, I'll fix this. And so I being the genius, handy, <laughs> handyman person that I am, I grab a hose, right? And I'm out there and I use it as a little check-in in the morning, right? Getting out there, hose, water in the lawn, things start greening up, right? Well, the problem with that <laughs> 
is I'm not fixing the sprinkler. So the second that I stop taking the hose out there, we're right back where we were. Right. And I think that sometimes in life we do that. Well, I'm going to put an extra effort there, but we're not necessarily putting effort into a system that's going to make that automatic. Right. It's that uh, I'm going to run two miles a day, but eat a double double every night kind of a deal. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're not addressing the real the real problems that maybe you just hit us. you just hit me between the eyes with that brother <laughs> okay let's get into this though too and i think yeah. that this and and then and then we'll get into we'll get into what we're about today but um and i'm i'm interested in hearing what our guest has to to say about this i just want to throw this out there and i've felt this before and i'm sure that our listeners and maybe Maybe even uh, maybe even you're in this spot, but like at a certain point, I think of our friend Dave Hill and his friend Boris the robot. Boris yeah. is made out of scrap parts, and every once in a while, that track, that scrap man's <clears throat> voice, right? You're yeah. trash. You're not worth anything. And I think sometimes that self-talk comes in of like, this is hopeless. How many times have I tried to make this change? Yeah. And I can't. What would you say to that? I mean, that's that's a tough, that's a tough spot. And and look, I, I I've been there, you know. I think everybody's been there on, on some level. I don't know. I, I think there's look, if we look at it from a spiritual side, right? As far as change is concerned, spirituality, right? Repentance is change, conversion is change perfection is change right so if we're if we're on that if, if those are the things that we're looking at I, I think built into that on the spiritual side is that is that very important aspect of grace right we've got we've got to be willing who was it that we talked with uh, a few weeks back that said uh, extend grace to ourselves right and I think that that's an important part of it you know we we're always wanting you know when we're in a situation where we've done something where it impact someone else we hope that, that person will extend grace towards us and let us uh, move past that and, and rectify that situation but we have to be willing to extend grace to ourselves and say look i got back on chess.com right <laughs> <laughs> but but i'm moving past this right and i, I went hard, it. Yeah. I went hard. <laughs> but but that, you know that's the reality right I, I recognize it i'm not gonna sit here in this rut i'm gonna extend grace to myself and say Hey, I, I'm going to give it another shot and move forward. And that's the beautiful thing about life, right? Is that even though we are, we find ourselves in, in patches that are really rough, that maybe we've put ourselves there. There's always a second chance. And, and, yeah. the, and it's that self-talk, right? That I can't, or people won't let me, or they won't respect me or whatever that thought is. Yeah. And can we, can we acknowledge right here, right now that without that ownership, Grace cannot operate in dishonesty. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Right? Like, like in order for, it's kind of like a chess move, right? To get to grace, we've got to be honest. Yeah. Once we're honest, then we're able to incorporate that, the power of that principle. And, and I, man, we can, get into, we can get into this for hours because when you get into the spiritual side of things, when we are feeling overload, man, drop to your knees and just say, where do I start? Yeah, yeah. What lack it, I yet? Right. What can I do? And I can guarantee you the answer isn't going to be 15 things. And the answer isn't going to be a big thing. Yeah, right. It's going right. to be a, hey, do this little thing. Yeah. 
right? I th- and Christ. yeah, I love that. I love that. I think that's an, uh, that's important, right? That well, like of, like you know. like you shared in the text exchange leading up to this was that Winston Churchill, right? To improve is to change. And to be perfect is to change often. Yeah. You know, course correction, a little bit here, a little bit there. And I think yeah. that um, if we are feeling hopeless, one of the things that, um, and Mike Burke would say this too, our friend, uh, one of the things that, that would help is regal, right? Yeah. If we've yeah. got an ambitious goal and it's like, man, I need to draw, I need to, I need to save a thousand dollars or I need to, you know, lose 20 pounds. Then it's just like, well, how about, can I lose two pounds? Yeah, I think that's you know? a big deal. And and honestly, that's been something I've been working on for myself lately is looking at these bigger goals that I have and trying to work those down to smaller bite-sized pieces that I can say, you know, that that I can uh, that are attainable, right? Yeah. Say, oh, what's gosh, your what, what's your radar? What would you, what would you not that we're experts. We are not experts, right? Not experts. <laughs> disclaimer, disclaimer. <laughs> right. But how many when when you, when you look at that reframing goals into things that, that are attainable goals plural like what should we be juggling gosh like how many how many different goals are we looking how at how many things are you working on are you working on different yeah. aspects cuz i yeah. think different aspects kind of make sense right like i'm I, i've got a health i've got a finance i've got a relationship you know and then and then as you can check in with those but when you go to each of those and you have three or four in each of those that gets a little crazy it does get a little crazy, but I think that because, yeah, maybe I do have a lot because I'm not an expert. So I'm going to tell you, like I, uh, for me, it's my, my physical health, right? It's my, my relationship with my family, like as a total, it's, it's my financial situation and my professional situation and my spiritual life. Right. So that's a lot of stuff, but in, in those, I'm looking at small things, you know, we, we had a discussion the other day about being able to do the things that you hate. And sometimes that's sort of where I'm at, right? Like running, I hate it, but I, but I'm, I'm not going to run a marathon. I'm going to run a mile a day, you know, my, my spiritual health, right? I, I want to be able to, to recite chapter and verse Mike Freeman, but I can't. And so I'm, I'm committed to reading a page a day. That's my goal, you know, of, of scripture. And, and so it's those things. And I feel like when, you know, what's, what's really cool about that for me personally is when I've had a day where I've hit those little goals in all of those areas, I feel, I feel really good about myself and where I'm at. You know, there's that, there's an instant reward, um, that I feel. So that's, that's what well, I, you know, I, I, I think that's, uh, that's patterned after, uh, that's patterned after a lot of wisdom, right? I mean, I think of, I think of Luke two fifty two, and we talk about this with our with our with our children and our youth. Uh, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. You know, what if you could just uh, break down your life into a couple quadrants? Yeah, you know? and so you've got, like you said, you got your you you got your relationships. Maybe that's social. You got your right uh, your your emotional and your. Uh, spiritual, maybe intellectual. And so as you do those things and there's just small and simple things happening in each of those, yeah. that gets back to that scorecard idea. That's pretty easy to check in at the end of the day and say, yeah, absolutely. And drip by drip, right? Small and simple things confound the wise. Like I don't need to read five chapters of scripture every morning. Like Stephen Mitchell, he gets into, he starts reading and he starts reading until it hits him. 
Yeah. And it could be one or two verses, and then he's he's immersed in one or two verses, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, love that. No, I, do, I do too. I love that. Well, look, t- this morning we have the opportunity to, to sit down, spend a little bit of time with Gus Koenig. He's in Phoenix. He's going to join us from, from Mesa, Arizona, as a matter of fact. Um, I have known Gus. He's a friend of my family's uh, and since I was a little, little kid. He's a good guy. He's got, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's raised a family. He's gone through a lot, some stuff in his life. And, and I'm looking forward to learning some wisdom. I'd love to learn how he, he handles change, right? Let's throw, let's throw that at him. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Why don't we open the doors and let the sunshine in from Mesa, Arizona? Yeah. So, hey, any chance he's got like Tyler Gould growing up dirt on you? Because I would be all about that. I would be yeah. all about some I think dirt. When I was, yeah, I think when I was around Gus, I was probably really small, man. So I don't even remember. He'd probably remember the dirt better than I would. So, <laughs> Well, you know, exciting things are happening uh, out in Mesa. I just recently saw that uh, that temple reconstruction. I think that they just had a had an opening on that. So that's kind of cool. And Phoenix just passed Philadelphia, your Philadelphia, as the fifth fastest growing city in America. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of crazy, huh? So, well, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a AZ fan, except for those dang Cardinals. I'm an AZ fan except for that dang heat. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, I'm up here. We've got the Dixie fire. People oh, yeah. around the country probably have been hearing about that. So we've got 106, I think, scheduled today with uh like zero visibility and hazardous air quality. So yikes. This episode is not brought to you by the city of uh Reading tourism department <laughs> yeah i my my mom sent me some pictures yesterday of when she was driving around of just the uh you know the outside it looked like a it looked like a gloomy cloudy day but it was all smoke so yeah and so you wake uh, up and you look out there and you almost think like i'm on the coast right oh it's yeah. like all right so i got some ocean i got some marine layer yeah we're kind of then... socked in this morning this is it's not bad <laughs> put on a cardigan <laughs> and then it's 107 (laughs) oh man that's funny yeah thoughts and prayers go out i mean uh dixie fires wiped out uh the town of greenville historic uh gold mining town where is greenville in in relation to where you're at uh greenville's up by uh, lake almanor so there's entire towns like chester's been uh chester's been evacuated oh man um it's over five hundred thousand acres one of my favorite golf courses man lake almanor that's a beautiful beautiful golf course yeah bailey creek bailey yep exactly yep (laughs) i was just talking to someone the other day that uh they they grew up in uh in the lake almanor area believe it or not that's that's a that's about as small as you get right that's about that's about as remote and rural as you get and yeah they land in down your neck of the woods yeah, their their daughters on my on my daughter's soccer team, so kind of crazy. Gus and Glenda. Yep, that's, that's right. us. All right, hey, there right. it is. We Sounds got... like me, doesn't it? Yes, we hear you now. Awesome, uh, Gus. Welcome to the richest men in town. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Good to be with you, fellas. Yeah. yeah well, how are things in here? How are things in Mesa, Arizona, this morning? We're we're getting a lot of rain. What? Wow. Yeah, I know. I know. Yes. Yeah, time of year when the weather usually wants to kill us but um that's that's not happening right now so 
Gosh. We're, pretty, we're pretty tickled about that. Yeah. yeah, why? It's, it's like the a, West, right? We can use the moisture. Absolutely. Yeah, we yeah, were just talking about that up our way. That you could send yeah. that up our way. That'd be great. Are, are you guys cooking up there? Yeah, yeah, we all, yeah, we're we're like you. I think you and I compete for like the hottest place on the planet a couple oh, times man. every summer. Yeah, yeah. Central Valley gets hotter as you go to the extremes. Yeah, Bakersfield's <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> lovely in, this time in of so year. many ways yeah that's right <laughs> there's been a lot of people have said that and i don't know yeah edit that uh, out <laughs> right hey uh gus how long you been in mesa uh i have been in mesa let's see uh gotta be 14 years okay wow I've been in arizona about 16 okay and, uh was in phoenix for two years and then moved over to the east valley and um yeah so here we are here you are. Well, love Arizona. I, I spent oh. some time in Arizona. It's a beautiful place. That's right. You you lived what in Chandler for a while? Yeah. So we were in that kind of uh, Gilbert Mesa Chandler okay. sort of okay, yeah. area. Yeah. yeah. Moved a couple different times, but uh-huh. uh, did school out there, and my wife taught out there, and mm, okay. you know, paid for my well, school basically. And yeah. yeah, I gotta I gotta warn you, Californians are coming in droves your way, probably. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, our, our people, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was reading an article the other day that said that uh, Phoenix, Arizona has surpassed Philadelphia as the fifth fastest growing city in America. Fifth largest. Fifth largest, okay. Yeah, it, yeah. it's the fastest growing big city in the country. Okay, mm. wow, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I, I know wow. that because I wrote a story about it the other night for radio. Oh, did you? Yeah, that's right. So... Russ, uh, Gus is a Gus is an author, and Gus, we're going to get into some stuff that you're hold doing. Hold up, hold up, okay. So we'll, we'll get into some stuff here. Yeah, okay. let's uh, <laughs> let let's let's figure out let's figure out what we uh, what what there is to learn from Gus Tyler. Why you like this guy? Well, I I've been lucky to know Gus for a long time since I was a little mm-hmm. little kid, and and uh, his family lived around our family, and. Uh, and Gus has always been in and out of, uh, of my family's lives and, and uh, has had an impact. So, you know, it's, it's, one, it's one of those things when you're, when you're a young person and you, you see people come in and out and you, you, you don't know that you're doing it, but you're taking mental notes, you know, of, of people. And, uh, <laughs> and Gus has been a guy that, that, I, that I've always enjoyed being around and, and listening to his wisdom and, and uh, has had an impact, uh, a positive impact on, on me and, and the people that I love the most. So. Wow. Well, thank you. Yeah. How about that? It's like payday, Gus. I'm telling you. Yeah, I'll take that to the bank. <laughs> so, Gus, when when Tyler, you and Tyler start having this conversation about uh, joining in, I know you're you're uh, you're you're often contributing to the town, right? To talk on the town, and when when Tyler reaches out to you and extends this invitation to be on the podcast, what kind of goes through your brain? I was hugely complimented. Um, I. Yeah, I was just flattered beyond description. Um, my my sense is that I'm not exactly your target demographic. Um, <laughs> well, we're, so, <laughs> we run the gamut. <laughs> That's right. We are all over the place, guys. Okay. So when, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how other people regard me. And um, I, I treat everyone like they're my contemporary, which is ridiculous in a lot of cases. Um, but, but there it is. So when someone who's, you know, of my children's generation... Um, wants to spend some time with me. Um, uh, that, that's quite gratifying. Well, 
I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I, I know that in, in our time together, we're, we'll, uh, some other people will be a find out why I think so highly of you guys. So oh, I'm gosh. excited about that. No pressure. <laughs> well, no I pressure I, at all. I, I, I could go, I think I could dig into that comment you just made about uh, not knowing how people regard us. Right. Yeah. And I think that that kind of gets into the spirit of this podcast. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we talk a little bit about George Bailey and that it's a wonderful life and we just don't know the impact that we have. We don't know right. how people regard us. And I kind of, I kind of dig that thought and, you know, and if we can step outside of ourselves and see the impact that we have, I think that the, if we can spend a couple hours doing that and, and selfishly speaking, Gus, I know that there's some things that, uh, your children's generation needs to learn. <laughs> Mine <laughs> and, too. And I'm all, I'm all ears. And so I think that that's, that's the beauty of, of the conversation that we're going to have, right? Before you came in, uh, Tyler and I were talking a little bit about, about change, mm-hmm. about the struggles that, I mean, we kind of got real and I, I personalized some things a little bit, but just the struggles of, of change, right? And some of those problems with change and, you know, whether it's taking on too much change, whether it's telling yourself, oh, you, you, you've done that so many times, you could never change that, right? In your, in your experience, where you stand in life, looking back and looking forward, what would you, what would you say about managing successful change in life? Oh, goodness. Um, I'm going to answer that like I know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> I, it always really rankles me when I hear someone say, well, that's just the way I am. Um, I, I find that really offensive. Um, I feel like we're, we're always a work in progress. At least, um, at least that's the plan. You know, I, uh, I hope I'm a better person today than I was a year ago and not as good a person as I'll be a year from now. Um, you know, I look at that in terms of, of what I do professionally, um, you know, being a broadcast journalist, uh, being an author, being a writer, being a photographer, and just being a person, um, you know, being a father. I, I, if, I could, if I could have a do-over, I would start mine um, at 11 p.m. on uh, July the 8th, 1971. That was the moment I became a father. And... I would love to have known at 23 what I know now, 50 years on. Um, I mean, there's always the risk that, okay, do you want a 23-year-old guy who has limited impulse control knowing what someone with more experience knows? <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to depend on the 23-year-old guy. But um, gosh, you know, I've heard people say, I have no regrets. I have more regrets than I can count. And about 99% of them have to do with um, things I did and said and things I did not do and did not say uh, when I was raising my children. Boy, That's there's a heavy start. Yeah, can, you know, hey, can I, I, I love that thought, though. Can, can we talk about that just for a second? Sure. I, I love the, you know, I, I have heard people say I, I don't have any regrets. And, and, I, and I shoot, I can respect that. I, I admire that, I guess, because I have, I have a few in my back pocket I'd like to, yeah. you know, unload. But what, what do you do with those regrets? I mean, what, what, do, what do those do? Are, are they just sitting there weighing on your mind constantly? Or how, how, do, we, they, how do we manage that? This is actually um, very timely that we're talking about this um, because they can be crippling. You know, um, 
I can look at every struggle my children who, who are all adults. You know, I mean, my, my youngest is 34. Um, I can look at every struggle that they're having and thinking, oh man, that goes back to, you know, all the different times and ways I let them know they weren't okay. Um, and it doesn't matter that that was the message that I got as a child. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to pass along the same poison that infected us. Um, but, and, and I'm, I'm going to get uh, delve, delve into the religious realm here. In, in my patriarchal blessing, it tells me that I will, I will be able to recognize when the devil's afflicting someone and that I will be able to cast him out. And I realized that that's what was happening to me. That, you know, what my my constantly ruminating on, on all the things that I wish I had done differently or not done at all, um, as I said a moment ago, was, was crippling. And uh, it occurred to me, I think one night at work, that, that that's what it was. That's, that's what was messing with me. And I came home that morning. Uh, I get off work at six, so, you know, there's not a lot going on. And uh, went out on my, on my back patio. And... Uh, and cast him out. And that's been, I guess that was earlier this week. And I got to tell you, every day since then has been better than the days and months leading up to that. You know, I mean, all of us have some bad wiring that we've got to pull out. And, and some of us have more than others, particularly when, um, you know, the more birthdays you've had. Um, you know, yeah. At what age do you have it all together? Well, I don't know, but I can tell you, seventy-three is not the number. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, so you said do-over. Let's go back to that moment. I love that thought, right? I mean, I think that um, if you could, what would you say to that guy on July eighth, nineteen seventy-one? And I say that because. Right now, you could be in the ears of somebody who's right there. I would say, whatever else you do, love that little person. You know, there's a list of things that we need to do as parents. Uh, you might want to write this down. Here's the list. <laughs> love your children. That's the whole list. Yeah. And I, I wish, I wish so much that, I had not been so uh, consumed by the details. Um, I wish I hadn't been operating out of fear. You know, that if I don't, <clears throat> if I don't make this happen for this child, uh, they'll be irretrievably lost, which is nonsense. Um, but I, I wish that I had, I wish that I had come out of love instead of out of fear. Cause I came out of fear a lot. Gosh, that's a, that's a powerful thought. I, there, I think like, as you're saying that, the, the, the thought that I, there's two thoughts that I want to, I want to touch on real quick. One, Gus, you talked about that idea of casting the devil out. And mm -hmm. it, it's interesting because I think that, you know, as, as, as I read that, if, if, as you read your patriarchal blessing, if I were reading that, my interpretation would be, how do I do that for other people? Right? Exactly. Yep. And, and I love the, the, the flip on that. That how do I do that for myself? And then I guess the, the next thing is it naturally can become something you can do for other people once you've had that experience for yourself. I, I, 
that idea of introspection and be able to look in inwardly and say, okay, what, what's the, you know, what is it that's holding me back from, from where I want to be or who I want to be or what I want to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. Can be difficult. And that's one of the things Mike and I were talking about this morning. I think that, you know, sometimes we get, we look inwardly and we, we find this giant list or we, we start to put together this giant list of flaws or Mm -hmm. wherever we're at. And then, sometimes it becomes this paralysis by analysis. And I think that's maybe that's where that whole idea of, well, I am who I am and I can't, I can't change it. Uh, yeah. And I, I, again, I, I, I just find that so offensive. Yeah. I agree with, I love the way you see that. It's offensive. I agree with you. I don't think I've ever thought of it that way, but I agree with you. It discounts a lot of things that maybe we believe otherwise as well. Right. It, it well, yeah. And, and particularly with, within our faith community, um, yeah. You know, the, the top of the list is eternal progression. Well, that means change. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so to say, well, it's the way I am, uh, you know, I, I can't change. Well, <laughs> you should find something else to do for two hours on Sunday morning. Right. <laughs> yeah. If it's we not don't have anything you. for you if that's the case. Right. <laughs> if, it's, right. if it's not changing you, what's, we're, we're not doing it right. Well, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that's true out, outside of a, of a religious setting. I love the idea yeah. of that bad wiring you talk about, right? It's like, yeah. it's kind of like Russell M. Nelson's invitation to remove debris because really it does come down to that, that idea of the iceberg and what's on top mm-hmm. of the water that we see and what's underneath. And so many mm-hmm. times we're trying to address behavior by talking about the thing that we see, yeah. the thing that other people see. And mm-hmm. I, that, that notion of wiring or even in the code, right? Mm-hmm. Like, going under the surface and looking into past experiences. And, you know, Tyler, we, we're always talking a little bit about, you know, it's like life is sometimes like a complex math problem. And if you messed up step two, you don't keep going. Right. <laughs> Thinking if I just work this thing out, it's all going to come out and I'm going to get the right answer at the end. Right. You got to go back. And sometimes we don't go back. Yeah. And sometimes we're struggling with like, why, why isn't this change sticking? Why can't I, why can't I become that new creature? Why can't I, you know, be a better disciple? And it's like, if we're quiet and we allow some space, there's probably going to be some, Hey, pick up the phone and call that person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Hey, right. reach out here. Hey, let's do this. Let's. And, and again, it's not going to be some dramatic monumental thing, but the problem is the world is noisy we've talked before about the world's not going to ever be slower than it is right now. (laughs) No, I don't think so. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You know, and at that speed, a lot of this important work just doesn't get done. Right. Right. Um, And, and a lot of, you know, the the debris that has to be hauled out, um, that's garbage. We didn't dump, you know, Mm -hmm. we have things imprinted on us uh, from the moment of birth. And there are, there are times I will kind of step back and see my, my reaction to something. And I'm thinking, my goodness, I'm channeling my grandfather, mm-hmm. um, who was the father figure in my life until I was 11. Um, and I mean, he, he loved me unconditionally. You know, every, every person should have one person who loves them you know, beyond description. I had that from my grandfather. But... Um, he did not live an exemplary life and uh, his anger was, was extremely keen. 
and very, very close to the surface. And I will find myself reacting way out of proportion to something. Uh, and, and I'll stop and I'll think, this is nuts. I'm, I'm channeling Larry Rothman. Yeah, that's a, that's but, the, hard. but the point being, there's there's stuff there. Yeah, it was, was getting layered on before we had any choice about it. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that, and I think maybe you know maybe that maybe the realization of that or or the honest self conversation of that, right? Of mm-hmm. where do where do some of these behaviors or some of these habits or some of these ideas come right, from? Right. Maybe changing that becomes a little bit easier if we you know if we can kind of parse that out and say gosh this had this impact on me mm-hmm. i don't mm-hmm. need to be this person right, right. i mean I, I have that conversation with myself all the time like I, there's people that i love in my life that maybe they're not 100 percent what i want to be in all oh, areas, yeah right yeah, so I, i'm taking what i my 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 internal conversation is take what what is good right yeah. and figure out how to stick that chip into the computer. Yeah. Take what serves you. Right, 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 right. And, and delete the other thing. But I think that sometimes we, while I'm going through that process, I'm still hanging on to some of the old things that, <laughs> you know, that, that I've been around since I was a little kid or whatever. You yeah. Know? So, yeah. It's, I, I liken that to, you know, living in a house that uh, that's drafty and the floors squeak and, and the doors don't close quite right. And, and, you know, the carpet smells, but you know where everything is. in that process if there's love then there's no judgment yeah right yeah. we're going to yeah. take the gift that's given we're going to take all those things from your grandfather and say mm-hmm. thank you mm-hmm. and we're not going to say yeah but yeah. you were yeah. this or this or this or this right i mean because everybody can say everybody has a list of things about each of us that probably sure. aren't yeah. the best. My right. grandfather lived to be 95. So I was how old? I was almost 50 when he died. Wow. And I, I cannot remember um, a judgmental comment from him ever. I could do no wrong, um, which is crazy, you know, but, but maybe it's not. You know, maybe we need to experience that degree of unconditional love from someone we can see. Well, let's take me, let, let's, let's go back. Let's go back to, is it Grandpa Larry? Yeah. That's yeah, I called him Gramps. That's a Gramps. great name. <laughs> so take me back. Uh, what, what did growing up look like? Gus, so you're in Mesa now. It's clear uh, that you were. Born you and were, raised in San Francisco. Okay. And, um. I can look back now and I can say I was not a blessed event. Um, I, I only know half of my, uh, of my family history. Um, and my aunt, who's, uh, how old is she now? 91, um, has told me some things um, that, you know, the, the seed planter insisted that, uh, no, he wasn't the one who got this 19-year-old girl pregnant. And then when he found out that she had a boy, then he came around and wanted to see his son and the family told him to get lost. Um, so anyway, um, I was born into a family of two uh, young women. And uh, my grandfather was 45 when I was born. And uh, 
the woman I knew as my grandmother was his second wife. My my uh, mom's mother died when my mom was 14. But anyway, that's so that's who that was. And then uh, I remember uh, growing up in the Marina District in San Francisco, um, which was a great place to live. I mean, we were we were a block from uh, from a playground, which when I was about six was turned into a library. And the playground moved about another block away. Um, so, you know, it, it was wonderful. I, I had places to go and play. Um, I guess as I look back on it, I was on a pretty short leash. My mother was very fearful. And as a consequence, I didn't go anywhere by myself, but my grandmother would take me places. Um, what else? When I was born, my grandfather was working for United Airlines. So I can't remember my first flight. Um, because my grandmother would, you know, fly down to Southern California to see family and, you know, take the little boy with her. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was great. Um, this was back in the days when they came around and passed out chiclets chewing gum, I guess, because the pressurization in the cabin was oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was always one of the great parts of the trip for me. <laughs> so, Gus, can you talk about influences in your in your life as a as a young as a young boy growing up and 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 growing as you kind of make that transition is in, into your teenage years you, you talk about your grandfather and his influence um what, what were some of those influences like and how did that impact you both in some of your worldviews and and also spiritually what did what did that look like what did religion look like as a, um, as a young boy my my family were uh, non-observant jews um, my mother would go to High Holy Days, you know, twice a year. So she and she slept me along with her. And uh, when I when I got into junior college, then I, I had an excuse: can't go, mom. I'll miss stuff in class. That was nonsense. <laughs> I didn't want to miss football practice, um, and, and I and I didn't want to go and spend all day in the synagogue. Right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a bar mitzvah dropout. Um, <laughs> but um, as far as really. Uh, profitable influence. I don't think that started until um, my mother married the, the man I call my dad when I was 11. Um, because my grandfather was enormously talented and had wasted just about all of it. Uh, he, in stories I've heard, he lost more really, really good jobs uh, than most people are going to have in a lifetime. Um, he lost the job at, at the airlines uh, or something just petty. And he was how old? He'd have been about 54, 55, maybe. Um, that was the last good job he had, and he lived to be 95. Mm-hmm. But um, the the man my, my mom married, Bob Koenig, um, was raised by his grandfather, who was, who was a real doer. I mean, this guy took care of, like, his own family, including, you know, grown daughters and, and countless in-laws through the Depression. Um, <laughs> when he was how old in his late 60s i guess he um tore the roof off the house and put in apartments up there <laughs> you know <laughs> to to uh, increase the income stream yeah um, so you know my my dad was raised by someone who was who was into achieving and my dad was too and so i i picked that up from him um he came along at a good time i, I was 11 and uh you know, there are many things he did well that, that I don't, but that worldview of understanding that um, 
that we can create more, that we can do and have more than, than what we see. You know, that we're not um, on someone else's leash. That's really healthy. As yeah. far as worldview and politics, um, <laughs> my, mine are very far from my dad's. <laughs> I used to tell him he was to the right of Darth Vader. <laughs> well, can we get in? We, uh, we jump all over any opportunity that we have on this program to talk about the spirit of creativity in our lives mm-hmm. sure. and what that looks like. And, and I'm just thinking of the, the brief time that I've gotten to, to know you through this conversation. I'm, I'm hearing things like author and journalist and photographer. And, and is, it, is it Bob coming into your life that kind of wakes up that, de- that, that desire to develop your talents? Or could, where does could that be, come from? It could be. Um, what I'm realizing, and this is true of all of us, you know, things we do well, um, that, that stuff was already in there. It was always in there. We brought that with us. Um, I didn't start shooting pictures till I was, what, 50. Um, and it, it turns out I'm, I'm pretty good at it. Um, that, I shot that one that's, that's behind me. That's beautiful, um, yeah. That's uh, it's a Japanese garden in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, wow. My wife and I spent an afternoon there with, with her sister. Uh, wonderful, wonderful afternoon and a beautiful place. Anyway, um, how I came to writing, uh, I, I was always terrified of writing assignments in school. You know, if, if it was like 200 word paper on whatever, I thought, I don't know 200 words. <laughs> um, you know, so I'd have a lot of sentences with very, very, very. Um, and when I was a junior in high school, I was uh, signed up for, I don't know, some kind of a science class. And I didn't have whatever was the prerequisite for it. So I had a hole in my schedule. I had to get a class and so I thought, oh, well, I'll take journalism, which had the reputation at my school of, of being just a cake class. Um, and the woman who taught it, Miss Valley, was, first of all, Miss Valley was really attractive um, and that it was a lot of fun. Well, <laughs> Miss Valley wasn't teaching journalism anymore. A new teacher, Mr. Coates, was. And Mr. Coates expected us to learn how to write news leads and that sort of thing. Um, it turned out that news writing was something for which I had a talent. Didn't know it, you know. I got an A in the class. Who knew? Um, I will tell you that I later took world literature from Ms. Valley, and she uh, she got a whole class of seniors in their last semester through War and Peace. Or no, no, Crime and Punishment. Oh, man. <laughs> and, and, and we got it. <laughs> that's, that's saying something right there. Yeah, yeah. That was pretty <laughs> but anyway, that, so that's how, that's how I came to writing. Um, as far as writing in fictional writing, I find that, um, well, a couple of things. One, I do a lot of writing when I'm driving around. I'll hear things in my head, conversations, scenes, dialogue, that sort of thing. <clears throat> and, and a lot of it is just a download. Um, I'll sit down at my keyboard and I know where a chapter is going to start. <clears throat> I know where, what circumstance the character is in. And oftentimes, several hours later, I get to the end of that chapter and I realize, I think, I didn't know he was going to do that. That's um, so cool. Yeah. I'd, I'd, heard, I'd heard writers talk about that before I started writing fiction. I accepted it. I didn't think they were lying, but I thought, what the heck is that like? Well, now I know. And it, that's as well as I can describe it. it. It's really an experiential thing. Wow. Stephen King, Stephen King would talk about 
he's got a book uh, called On Writing, and he says it's almost like an archaeological dig. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You see a little something and you start to brush it off. And all of a sudden it it goes places, like you said, it goes yeah. places that you yeah. would have never thought. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Though. I love that idea. And I love that. I mean, that kind of gives me goosebumps thinking that's the spirit of creativity. Right. It, to take a story it, it that is. just yeah. wasn't there. Words in your brain mm-hmm. put on paper mm-hmm. and telling a story that never existed before. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty terrific. Hey, um, um yeah, before, before characters we get and stuff like that, yeah, yeah, but, Gus, before we get too far down this road, how can our listeners connect with, with work you've done? Um, my work is on, is on Amazon. Uh, okay. I, I co-authored a, a book called the redemption of Lonnie Tate with a fellow named Lauren Marsters who invited me in and we created that over several years. That's available on Amazon. And, uh, at Golden Alley Press, which is my publisher. And I'm currently, um, I've finished up a sequel to that. And there are some uh, business things that need to get done. And then that, that will be out. And uh, believe me, I'll let you know when, when that's available. Right, um, right. I, I ghosted about four or five books. And the last experience was so negative. I First, I said, okay, anybody ever wants me to ghost again, they're going to have to put up this much money up front before I get started. And then I realized I don't want to do that again. Um, I don't want to tell somebody else's story. Yeah. Well, it appears that, I I mean, I think I run into people all the time and I I personally feel like there's a book in me. What would you say to the person that hasn't ever got into it, but feels like there's something there? Um, Sit down at the computer and and let it come up through your fingers. Um, Start typing. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, there, have you seen the movie Finding Forrester? I yes. love that movie. Yeah, yeah. When 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 the uh, Sean Connery character sits down and says, you know, punch the keys, basically just you know start writing anything. Um, and as you recall, the, in the climax of it, the the young man um, starts in um, yeah, kind of plagiarizing this yeah. Robert yeah, Forrester right. stuff. Yeah. And then gets into just this masterful narration. Um, but yeah, just sit down and just start punching the keys. Yeah. We're going to have to add that movie to the, we've already talked a little bit about field of dreams with, with yeah. what was happening with major league baseball recently. Yeah. We're going to have to add finding forest to the yeah. homework yeah. list. Yeah. 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 That's, that's one of my, that's one of my favorites. Yeah. Field of dreams is one of my, one of my three all time favorites. I, I cry in all the same places. Yeah, I, yeah, I missed my dad. Yeah. Oh, uh, and I'm, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a true story. Uh, my wife told me that when she um, first joined the church in, in South Carolina, where she was raised, one of the real shocks for her was seeing grown men not just expressing emotion, but tearing up, and I mean, getting really emotional. And yeah, I mean, that was that was not her experience. <laughs> growing up in you know the church of christ and the, the baptists and so forth well fast forward a lot of years she marries one of those guys <laughs> <laughs> i quit apologizing for it years ago yeah. oh no we we love we love those guys yeah that's a common question in my house at movie night uh, dad are you crying yeah i am <laughs> yep, as a matter of fact yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I think I've shared this thought with you before, Tyler, but, the, you know, um, 
there's a Spanish poem that goes something like <clears throat> to remin just thinking about being an old man. <clears throat> and there are times in life when you want to cry and you can't. And there are times in life when you don't want to, and you can't stop. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's, I, I experience that more and more every day where it's like, why is that? Why is that Olympic moment making me ball like a baby? Oh yeah. I, I tear up a half a dozen times a day on Facebook. <laughs> well, Absolutely. you know, Gus, I find myself sometimes when I'm experiencing things in my family, starting to get to an embarrassing point where I'm almost like, you know, that, that person that sits in the pew and is like, amen. Mm. Like, I'll get this. I'll be watching a movie. And when it starts to move me, I'll be like, oh, <laughs> I'll grunt. I'll be like, yeah. come on. Yeah. Right? It's you, almost you like to, I'm on an episode. You'll stop hiding it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm on an episode of my podcast or something. I can feel like I can just grunt, make noises. Cause I've been in, I've been in this space where someone will say something. And I'm just like, want to throw my hands up and be like, hallelujah. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> So Gus, can you can you take us a, a little bit into that pre July eighth, nineteen seventy one, right? That stage of life, uh, where where are you at, and and what what leads you where you where you end up? And um, well, let let's back up to um, how I happened to meet the woman who's the mother of my children. Yeah, we, we've been divorced for a while, but um, I I went to BYU knowing nothing about Latter Day Saints or what they believe. Okay. Well, 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 back up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a rich vein, right? Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> let, let me mine that for you. Okay. Um, so I was uh, I was at City College of San Francisco and not happy about it, but um, and I was looking for a, for a school had a good journalism school. Really quick, where are we at? What what year are we in? Uh, this was 1965-66. So okay. San Francisco, 1965-66, had to be a wild place. Uh, it, it hadn't gotten there yet. It was okay. about two years okay. short of that. Okay. Anyway, Good time to get out. Right. Well, <laughs> as it turned out, um, what, what I told people for years is that BYU was the best journalism school that I could afford. And that would take me with my mediocre grades. And it was 800 miles from where my parents lived. <laughs> which was a good thing. If it had been 1,600 miles away, it would have been twice as good a thing. <laughs> um, what I can see now looking back is I was led there. That was where I had to be to, um, to accept the, the restored gospel. Um, I was baptized between first and second semesters there. And it was a really good thing. I remember on the day I was baptized, the man who... Uh, who I just respect tremendously. I'm sure he's, he's gone now, but he said, you'll never regret what you've done today. And he was absolutely right. Um, there were, there were years when I, I doubted my own, um, I don't know, dedication or ability or something to live the things I was being taught, but at no time did I ever say, man, I wish I hadn't done that. Not only did I not regret it, I've always been grateful for it. Um, and, and it's had a, it's had a very salutary effect on my life. A lot of good things have happened to me because of, of that decision. Can, can we, can we, I, I want to hear, keep going down that road of BYU for a second, but before we do that, can we talk a little bit about that process for you? Because it sounds like growing up religion was there, right? Kind it of. wasn't, yeah, but it wasn't a major part of, right, of right. life. So what does that look like going into BYU? Obviously we know the environment's, 
is what it is, right? Yeah, but, it's falling in at the deep end. Right. right. So for, for you, how does, how does that sort of spiritual progression take place where you decide, you know what, I want to, I want to do this thing and, and, and dive into this. When I'm even curious too, on, you said that you felt led there. Yeah. Yeah. Looking, like I, looking back, looking I back, can see right. that. Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. Well, um, let's see. Okay. So I, I wind up there and, um, met a girl and thought I was in love. And, uh, so I was going to sacrament meeting with her. This was at the time when, uh, sacrament meeting was separate from, uh, you know, meetings were separate. There were two meetings in the morning and then there was sacrament meeting in the afternoon or evening. Um, so I was going to sacrament meeting and, uh, my parents had always raised me on the notion of, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans. So, I mean, you know, you could call it passing or fitting in, um, whatever. I, I was not uncomfortable. And, um, of course, you know, I had to take a religion class and it was, it was total immersion. And, um, and I started praying about it. And please don't get the idea that I was this spiritual seeker sure, at sure. age 18. Okay. <laughs> Cause I wasn't. Um, but the first, I guess it was the first day that uh, my uh, roommate and, and friend I've had since we were Cub Scouts, who also was not a Latter-day Saint, we, we went to a fireside, which was crazy. I mean, it's early September and, you know, a young guy in the dorms, oh, you're going to go to the fireside? And we're thinking, it's 97 outside. It's wrong. <laughs> so we go to the Smithfield House at BYU and the speaker was Stephen Covey. <sighs> Um, who was a real pulpit pounder when he was in his 30s. And I had never heard the kinds of things he said. I'd never heard them said in that way. And my my buddy, Mark and Noble, Bill Noble, and I felt what was coming off of these people around us. And we, like, it, we didn't say it, but we both knew these people know something we don't know. There's something going on here. Well, so anyway, uh, I would pray from time to time. And... Were you in the habit of praying before? No, no. I, I can remember a couple of times when I prayed when, um, when I was in a real dark place. Um, I remember once I'd, uh, I'd had a really bad bicycle accident, and cut up my heel, and I was on crutches for a long time. And I remember praying, please help me walk. And then another time, I was 11 years old, and... Uh, <laughs> lying in bed, and, and the notion hit me, I'm going to die. I mean, not right then, but that someday I was going to die, and I was just overcome with this terrible sadness, and I started sobbing, and my parents came in, and, um, you know, so I did what 11-year-old boys do. I lied. You know, my stomach hurts. I mean, who's going to say when you're 11 years old, I'm afraid of dying, Mom and Dad. Yeah, but where does that? That's <laughs> that, would, that, that's... that would not have been well-received. But that's an amazing <laughs> That's an amazing sentiment. That's an amazing fact. Cause I don't know 11 year olds that, that feel that way. Don't know where it came from, but here's where it went. So, you know, they will go use the bathroom. Well, I didn't have to use the bathroom, but I mean, it was a private place. And while I was in there, I remember praying, please, God, don't let me die. And I felt this assurance that I would not. Well, what I can see now is I was being instructed that life, when life ends here, life does not end. And that didn't click for me until 
gosh, years after I had joined the church. Wow. So anyway, yes. Yeah, so it's a little my, nugget given to an 11-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly. Awesome. So there, those are my two prayer experiences. So anyway, it's uh, it's Christmas time, uh, late 1965, and I'm driving a fuel truck for uh, a company my father worked for in the Central Valley. And it's foggy and it's miserable. And and I'm you know having this, there was no radio in the truck. So I'm, I'm having this internal conversation about, you know, okay, well, there's various points of the gospel. So, you know, they, okay, the missionaries say this, and they say this, and they say this. And I would have that conversation previously, and I think, okay, but, but is it true? And at that moment, okay, the missionaries say this, and they say this, and they say this, and it's true. And, and I slammed on the brakes, and it was a two-lane road out in the middle of nowhere, so fortunately nobody slammed into me. But I realized something had happened. You know, that was, that was a pivotal point. Um, and that was when I knew, okay, I, I want to be baptized. Hmm. And uh, a month after I turned 19, I was. In between first and second semester. Yeah. Yep. And, I, and I didn't do it to get a break on tuition, which, <laughs> <laughs> which one of the guys in the dorm accused me of. <laughs> <laughs> what did your what did your family think um my my dad was not at all religious and said well good um my mother who was not religious but who was culturally jewish um said well well wait honey wait till you're sure i said i'm sure now mom and she said well wait until you're really sure and i said mom i'm not telling you this i'm not asking permission i'm telling you this because i love you and it's the right thing to do but I'm not waiting. So yeah, then I uh, I was baptized and um, felt very much out of my depth. And here's the thing, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about you know constantly giving my children the message you're not okay in various and sundry ways, and I got that too. And <laughs> so now this was something else to not feel okay about. Um, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm quote a Mormon and I'm around these other Mormon kids, but I don't know what they know. Uh, they're better Mormons than I am. Um, so that was another thing to, to feel, you know, I mean, maybe it's 4,000 years of Jewish self doubt. I don't know. Um, but, but, genetic level. Yeah, I guess, I guess, um, you know, but again, it, it, it's a process. And I, as I found things that, that I did well, I guess it was some ammunition to kind of tamp down that, um, that insecurity or uh, I don't know, self-loathing might be too strong, but you know, kind of kind of going in that direction. So anyway, um, can I ask a question, Gus? Sure, by all means. So, so you're you're a new member of the church. I right. joined the church in '19, so I'm kind of putting myself okay, right? I, I, I but I wasn't in Provo, Utah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. In a sea of people. Yeah that supposedly believe the same, right? I mean, there's, there's, there, there are non-members in Provo. You were evidence of that. But yeah. did you have early experiences maybe with, uh, with, with, with a leader or a mentor or fellowshipping or alone in a room with the, with the Book of Mormon or prayer where you felt like God knew you? I did. Like knew um, you. When, when I... I can remember the moment I came up out of the water after being baptized. Um, 
<laughs> in a pool of the Richards PE building. Um, I felt better in that moment than I ever had before. And I have never felt better than that since. I have had that feeling, feeling that good um, at, at the births of my children, um, both times getting married. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I, I did feel some close. I'll tell you what really appealed to me was, was being called brother. Um, I'm an only child. And, you know, when, when people of my parents or grandparents' generation said, okay, brother, um, wow, that, that really went to the center of me. Um, and there, there were times and have been times when things were not good. And I have felt a physical sensation of arms around me and knowing that my father was there. Yeah, that, I'm feeling it right now. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate yeah. that. And I just, I, for those that are listening for, for ourselves as individuals as well, like it just goes to that idea that there are these moments. It's not the constant. Right. Yeah, you can be yeah. baptized, a member of the church, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we talk about that constant companionship of the Holy Ghost, but there are flashes, right? Almost yeah. like going back to Steinbeck and East of Eden, right? These these yeah. glories, these yeah. moments that right. we have. Well, and you know? it's something that, that uh, you, you mentioned a moment ago, you know, when, when we were confirmed, we were, quote, given the gift of the Holy Ghost. What we're given is an admonition. Receive. We are, we are told, receive the Holy Ghost. It's up to us. So I'm sure that's why, as you say, it, it, it comes and goes. Yeah, on my, on my wall in my office, I've got this weeks of my life and every week I fill a box, right? Yeah, and I'm just right. reminding myself that this is a finite game that eventually I will die, right? Eventually I'm going to run out of weeks, but I've decided to not just fill them in. I've gone back and certain weeks are purple, right? Mm -hmm. So when coworkers come into my office and like, well, that's kind of cool. And they're like, what's that one? I was like, well, let me tell you about that. one. <laughs> that week I met a girl. Yeah. Well, what's that one? Oh, let me tell you about that one. That week I, I, I had a daughter, right? Like yeah. there's these moments yeah. that are yeah. not like every other moment. And that's what really keeps us in yeah. this, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Like he said, you will never victories. regret what you did here. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Love Isn't that, that wonderful? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a great gift that I was given. Just, just that. When I find it, I'm just putting the two together because we started earlier talking about regret. Yeah. You know, and, and you said uh, it can be crippling. It can. It can. And how many of us are walking around with crippling things and there's no hook on the thing we're holding on to? Yeah. Yeah. We, we're we holding just, on to right. it. Yeah. Like you said, cast it out. Let it yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. Be done with that thing. Um, one thing that, that my wife talks about, she does a lot of, um, personal development and she's in a number of, of uh, like support groups of professional groups and you know they do zoom meetings and stuff and I'll, I'll listen in and I mean, it's really good stuff but anyway what she talks about is the need to embrace the things that we do well and it for me it, it's more than just because I was always able to separate the things that I do well professionally from where I was personally it was like, 
okay, yeah, I write well and um, I'm good on TV, but we need to embrace the things we do well and we need to also embrace the effect we have on other people because we don't, we don't recognize that. Yeah. Um, I, I was the guy on TV in a small community for, for 19 years. And I would see, you know, men of my parents' generation who were far more accomplished than I. And I mean, it's like their, their eyes would mist up being in my presence. I'm thinking, come on, I just have a high profile job. Okay. Yeah. Um, but we, we don't know what effect we have on people. Um, let me share this with you. This is something I, that just occurred to me um, yesterday, actually. Um, when I was, uh, must have been in my early 40s, I looked around at um, my con- several of my contemporaries, and I felt like they were much further along in life than I was because um, they were doing so much better financially. And it was like, what am I doing wrong? Well, you know, uh, one one guy was an oral surgeon. A couple of others were attorneys. One was a, an insurance broker. And I thought, well, fine. And here I am, you know, relating the, the unfolding history of the community and the world in, in 90-second installments. Big deal. <laughs> <laughs> but but what, what hit me, and before I brought this up, you know, to my wife, the one I was married to at that time, was... I was doing what I was good at and I had no interest or aptitude for the things these men were doing. You know, I don't have a scientific aptitude that I could have gone through medical school and become an oral surgeon. Uh, I, I did not have the, what, the diligence and the dedication to get through three years of law school. Uh, the things that, that are involved in insurance while they're important bore me silly, but the talents that I had been given were being used in a way that, yes, I was, I was relating the, the unfolding history of the community and the world, but I was doing it in a way that people could understand and in a way that didn't scare the liver out of them. Yeah. And we need some of that me, today. Well, people told me that, 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 you know, they, when they watched me on the news, they got the feeling that, you know, we'll, we'll get through it somehow. We'll be okay. That, that's an interesting point, though, Gus, because I think that, you know, that idea, Mike, we've talked about this before, this idea of comparison, oh, right? Yeah. It, it, it just diminishes everything that we have or we are, yeah. right? Yeah. Here, here you are successful in your field, magnifying your talents in that yeah. arena, yeah. and you look at someone else who maybe is getting a bigger paycheck, magnifying their talents, you think, well, gosh, they're doing they're better than me. But what yeah. if and what if we flipped it, right? What if you're sitting there thinking, man, I wish I had his paycheck. And the guy with the paycheck is looking at you doing what you were born to do, saying, I wish my work lit me up like he is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. absolutely. And, and, and of course, that's happening, right? Of course, sure. that's yeah. happening. But we I, I look that. at the things that I've, I've gotten to do as a broadcast journalist that, you know, um, let me tell you the story this way. I remember as, as a little boy, I'd see people on TV and go, I'm going to be on TV. You know, I'm going to be a jet pilot. I'm going to be a baseball player. I'm going to whatever. Yeah. And, and I remember my grandmother saying, well, well, honey, people don't really do that. You know, and I pointed at the TV and go, uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Someone's doing it. <laughs> right. Well, what she was saying was people like us don't do that. Mm. Okay. So fast forward, I'm in my 40s. Um, I get to spend a day working out with a professional baseball team. I get to ride with the Blue Angels. 
I get to come on. Yeah. True story. I get to ride into Billings, Montana for the Centennial Cattle Drive with all these cowboys. Um, you know, I was on television for 30 years. And the things I got to do, I mean, you know, I got to go to Russia right after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Um, and I, I was never jaded about that. I mean, I, I'm sitting there in the Bolshoi Theater watching opera thinking, what am I doing here? I'm a kid from the Marina District. Um, yeah, okay. I mean, it, was, it was a wonderful, exciting career. Okay, Gus, yeah. there are a couple of places I just I, I just need to go really quick. Sure. Okay. Um, first, let's go with the most recent thing you just shared. When they try to tell you that, people like us don't do that, right? I refer to that as, as lids on kids, right? I'm in education. Oh, and and I, yeah. I just don't believe. And we have programs, we have policies, we have things that put lids on kids. And that's just something that I kind of wage war on. Yeah. on a daily basis. But how did you rip that lid off? Because you're an impressionable kid. You see something that you want to do and immediately and maybe unintentionally, but that is snuffed out. It could have been. Uh, I, I didn't believe it, I guess. You know, I mean, like a lot of American boys, I always wanted to be a cowboy. Um, so I married a woman from Montana. whose <laughs> <His laughs> grandfather was a cowboy. I mean, true story. <laughs> okay so the guy was a cowboy so so second second thought that i would like to like you said a a rich vein i'd like to mine a little bit yeah um when you're in when when you see the effect that you are having right you're you're on tv and you you kind of got that celebrity thing and people are kind of losing their their stuff when they're around you (laughs) uh tyler and i were talking the other day about uh not believing the hype exactly yeah. What advice do you have? Like, I struggle. I mean, I think when people come up to us and they're complimentary, part of me says, don't listen to that or you'll get proud, right? But then part of me wants to be sincere and take that praise. Like, talk, talk me through that wrestle. It, it's important to, to accept compliments, whether, whether you're doing something high profile or, or, or whatever it is you're doing. Um, you know, say, like, oh, well, it's not, it's not whatever. And that's like what you were referring to a few minutes ago, Ty, about, you know, looking at other people and, and comparing ourselves. I don't know. I, I mentioned the, you know, the 4,000 years that you were self-doubt thing. Um, I'm, I'm with me all the time. We are with ourselves in our worst moments. <laughs> right. So when, when, when the, when, when the good stuff just gets smeared on really, really heavy, um, it's important to, to be gracious and to say, thank you. Um, but it also helps to remember that, um, maybe we hit that particular shot, but we, we missed seven before that. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I appreciate that. Thank you for that, that, that thought. I'm so you're in, you're in BYU. You're a member of the church. How, how do you, uh, you know, how do you make that choice of all the things you could do in the world of all the degrees you could get right to walk me through the choice to, uh, to do what you did there at BYU and finish. Um, actually what, what I wound up doing, I mean, it played some on what I did at BYU. I didn't graduate. Okay. I, I was a terrible student. Um, I, I didn't know how to study. 
I tell people I arrived in college with no study skills and less self-discipline. Um, <laughs> I, I we can hang out, Gus. We <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I experienced I academic to, success in my 60s. Um, yeah, I showed up to college and had 15 units my first semester, and I finished with a C in philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, when, when, my, uh, when my first wife left, I... Uh, enrolled at Mesa Community College. That was one of the reasons that she left. She said, I, I'd enrolled, you know, for classes without discussing it with her, translate, asking permission. Anyway, um, so it gets toward the end of the first semester and I'm looking at what's going on. And I'm thinking, I could get straight A's here. I never had a semester in which I got straight A's going back to elementary school. <laughs> well, I had three semesters at Mesa Community College and I had nothing but A's. What that did is it changed how I look at myself. It changed how I see myself. Um, in, at 62, 63, whatever I was, I saw myself as a straight A person. And that's healthy. Yeah. I, okay. I, I like that. I, and and I'm, I'm curious, you know, you, you talk about changing how we see ourselves I mean, what I agree with you hundred percent. I think that, right. That it's the self-talk we have, right. Mm -hmm. We get, we, we, we wrap ourselves up into, this is what I am. It goes yeah. back to that. I am what I am and I cannot change. Right. Yeah. Because we haven't seen anything else. Right. What, I mean, what, what advice would you give to someone who's, who's sitting in that position that says, look, I'm not this, or I'm not that. And I can never be this, or I can never be that. I mean, what would you, what would you tell that person? Uh, look back at where you were five years ago and where you are now. I you like know, that. There's, yeah. there's this school of thought uh, that uh, you look back, you know, look, look ahead, you know, what, what you did. Yeah, fine. But there's more work to do. Well, of course, there's always more work to do. Um, but I think we need to fuel ourselves on, on what we have accomplished. You know, I was talking earlier about, you know, hoping that I'm, I'm a better person today than I was a year ago. And then I'll be a better person a year from now than I am today. Um, it's it's really important to look at the things that we have accomplished, um, and and everyone accomplishes things. Everyone does. You know, we yeah. we get better at what we do. We get better at some of the things we do. You know. So I, did did I catch that timeline right? How old are you at Mesa Community College? I was uh, sixty two, and I'm assuming as you're looking around. There, there may not be too many 62-year-olds in your classes. There were a lot of 62-year-old teachers. <laughs> in, so, three, in three semesters, I had one instructor who was older than me. Um, but yeah, here's, so, what's, here's what's really cool. I'm, I'm in class with people who are, you know, the ages, not just the ages of my children, the ages of my grandchildren. And, you know, I thought, holy cow, am I going to be like Pierce on community, you know? Um, <laughs> Not only did no one regard me that way, but these folks just accepted me like I was one of the other students. And it was wonderful. It was hugely complimentary, I felt. Yeah. Tyler, as I'm listening to that, I'm reminded of that, that, that exchange you had with that girl that was struggling and just had so much on her plate and she was shooting herself all over the place. Like, I should be here. I should have these things and the timeline and the pressure. And you just said, hey, let's just take that timeline off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that that idea too, of like, I'm it's too late. 
Yeah. yeah. Like I'm too late, right? That opportunity has passed. And, and Gus, you're, you're, you're living proof here that no. Yeah. There's a Absolutely. life to live. Right. And, and yeah. you don't quit until you're, until you're done. Yeah, exactly. There's, you know, there's all sorts of things, not only that I want to do, but that I expect to do. There are things out there ahead of me. And for one thing, I mean, yeah, we're all on the clock, but as I mentioned earlier, you know, my grandfather lived to be 95 and it's not because he ate right, exercised or took care of himself. He did none of those things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mentioned my aunt who's 91. Well, my mother turned 94 in June. You know, there's longevity in my family. So, um, you know, it's not like I've got time, so I don't have to worry about any sense of urgency, but it's, it's not a sense of uh, time's running out. Yeah, I, yeah, because I think that the, in in our in life, right, and in, in maybe in our society, it's this idea that we we have this ramping up period to where we get to this ramping down period. Yeah, right, and then we, we're going to get to a place where we don't do anything now because yeah. we've done all everything over here. And I love the idea of that. It's just a big ramp up. Let's just keep oh, yeah. going, you know. Just keep, keep pushing it forward, you know. Absolutely. Well, and I love that too because there's no fear in the ramp up. Yeah. You know, yeah. that, you know, we talked about that love and living in love and living in fear. I believe that that's dark and dark and light, right? Those are yeah. polar opposites. Absolutely. You can't be both. Yeah. And so I can sit here and like, oh, no, death is coming. And is anybody else catching the irony, right? Gus, as an 11-year-old kid, was afraid to die. Yeah. And now Gus is like, bring this on. I'm going to suck more the to nectar do. out of yeah. this all oh, the way yeah. out. Absolutely. I got a lot more to do. I you know, love that. Yeah. I, I have, there, there, there are a number of books that I have that <laughs> I know how they begin in the end and then the stuff in the middle, you know, yeah. I, I have writing to do. I have, there, there are more, there are more pictures to make. Um, mm. You know, one of the things in the, in the cheat sheet that, that you fellows sent me, I was, uh, you know, if I couldn't fail, what would I do? That one's easy. I would travel and write and make photographs. Mm. And that's coming. Yeah. What's the ratio on that failure? I think failure is part of it. I think oh, when sure. we talk to people about what they're afraid of, a lot of folks in our conversations talk about fear, but looking at photography, looking at books, looking at writing, what's the ratio? How many, how many pictures you got to take to find a great one and the rest end up in the, in the garbage. And, and it's even more than that. Um, if, if you're talking about monetizing it, you know, um, there's a, fellow here in the valley who, who does workshops and trains people to you know turn their turn their pictures into money and one thing that that he uh, wrote some years ago he said a bad picture marketed well will sell much better than a great picture marketed poorly hmm. so you know that's that that's the issue is how do you power of marketing how, how do you yeah. how do you monetize what you do you know you yeah. got to get it in front of people yeah it's interesting because I think I think back, Gus. I, I think about your your comments about these things that you want to accomplish and you, that you want to do. And Mike, it sort of brings me back to that initial conversation of change, because I think when we're in a ramping up period, right, we're change is coming at us all the time, and 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 maybe there's this idea that we want to get down to this ramping down period because then change goes away, right? And it becomes yeah. this it becomes this safe zone where nothing is going to happen that's going to impact us but where is where is the life in that right okay where, yeah, exactly where is the 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 energy and the the creativity and the 
you know, when, when we're ramping up and we're pushing ahead and changes coming at us, we're forced to adapt. Mm-hmm. We're forced to embrace the process that, yeah. that, that makes us uh, be better at whatever mm-hmm. it is we're trying to be better at. Yeah. Um, well, that I'm gets a, me thinking, Tyler, yeah. that gets me thinking of uh, right now, my personal study of the Book of Mormon, I'm in that second Nephi two, and we are free to act and not be acted upon. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. The ramp down is acted upon. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. going to let life just life's going to come at me and I'm going to be reacted. Right. But like ramping up is like, no, I'm going to continually act. The pen is in my hand. I write, I write how this story ends. Yeah. I dictate yeah. things. And there are things out of our control. And I, I understand that's part of living, but we are active participants driving this thing. And we're not just like, can you please stop talking to me about change? I'm done. I just want to finish this thing on a coast. And, and we see people who do that. Yeah. Um, I make a point of not spending any time around it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Oh, I love that. And I also love the idea of the pro of, of a process, because if you, if you look at, at, you know, Gus, you, you talk about writing and, and photography and these creative things that you're doing. <clears throat> I'm imagining, excuse me. I'm imagining there's a process in there, right. Of, of, of honing your craft of becoming better, right. Of, mm-hmm. of that. And then I, and I think about, you know, some of the things that you said earlier regarding uh, re- religion and joining the church and, and sort of that pr- there's a process in there as well. Right. I sure. think there's a belief somewhere that it, once you hit, I don't know if it's, it's baptism or, or wherever it's at that you've peaked. Right. And I think there's, and again, I go back to this idea of this just ramping up, right. We have to be yeah. continually in that, in that process of looking, maybe we, we got to be looking for change. Is that, is that what we're, is that part of or, this? Or, or being open to it. Or being open to it, yeah. Yeah. We um, got to remarket. We have to rebrand because you're right, Tyler. We have this enduring to the end thing. Yeah. Right? I've got a, I've got a, I've got a nephew who's getting married, right? So, Gus, I'm a Cubs fan. I'm going to go to Wrigley for the first time. She, nice. He knows all a, about endurance. Nice. Right? <laughs> he's marrying an Indiana girl. So our bags are packed next week and, and, and we're going to be going and doing that thing. I just wonder what's in his head right now, right? Is he thinking, okay, this, this, this leads to this, get married. And now we endure, right? Or is he like, yeah, I, I don't think that's the, what he's thinking, but let the freaking <laughs> yes. adventure begin. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and, and the, the, the problem well, problem we know what the, notion, the problem with the notion of enduring to the end is it sounds really grim. It absolutely. I always it does. You know, Every time I like read you, that, I'm you like, grit your teeth and you just hang on to this thing. Right. You know, um, <laughs> no, it's this, the journey is supposed to be joyful. It's That's so right. true. It's yeah. so true. Yeah. I agree well, with that. So. Hey, uh, Gus, where you are right now, as you think about the experiences that you've had, uh, can you name something that you have learned from life the hard way? <laughs> um, things you say in anger are, and things you do in anger are poisonous and, and 100% not productive at all, ever. Here's another one. Uh, bad advice by itself is not harmful. 
bad advice is harmful when you follow it. <laughs> um, you know, there are things that, that I, advice I follow, oh, you should do this because this is an opportunity. Well, you know, it, it's an opportunity for the right person. Um, I tried for a couple of years to make a, set, a success of, of network marketing. And I'm not going to badmouth network marketing. I know people who, do it, who are very successful at it. Um, it requires certain skills or certain aptitude. Um, if you cannot sell, you're not going to be good at network marketing. I, I don't have that gene. I don't have the closer gene. Um, and, and, and I've, I've seen people who, who are very good at sales and this is interesting. The ones who are really good are not what society thinks of as, as a salesperson. They're not high pressure. Um, your dad, Tyler, your dad's excellent salesman. He's not high pressure. Yeah. My wife is very successful in real estate. She is about as far from high pressure as it gets, you know, the, the quiet farmer's daughter from South Carolina. Um, who also happens to be the smartest person in the room all the time. But um, yeah, just, oh, you should do this. Well, more often than not, people don't know what you should do. Yeah. Um, people can open up stuff, but yeah, the idea of, uh, oh, well, well, here, I'll, I'll give you an example of that. I was in a Temple Recommend interview when I was like 25 and, uh, with a man who was very successful in uh, insurance he was an insurance broker and i forget what it was i wanted to do then but he wasn't impressed with it anyway he told me how he when he came back from his mission he didn't know what he wanted to do so he sat down with and i don't know if they were all together or you know one after another with men who uh who were successful who his parents knew and grandparents knew and listened to what these men said and took their advice and and went from that well, it turned out to be very good for him. I remember thinking at 25, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> well, I can tell you at 73, it doesn't sound a lot better to me. Now, it worked out well for this man. But, you know, um, <laughs> who's, who's to say that, you know, oh, I, I, I know you should do this. Well, no, maybe I should do that if I were in your position. Yeah. But, <laughs> Yeah, I like so, that. I like that idea. Of, you know, you talked, we talked earlier about, you know, just knowing our strengths and embracing, you know, yeah, yeah. embracing the things that we're good at. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you're, as I'm listening to you talk about that, you know, I've got a son who's serving a mission and a daughter who's up at BYU and, and uh, I've got all kinds of opinions, Gus, of, of what, how they should be living their lives. So yeah, <laughs> maybe, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe I need to rethink how I deliver those things. Right. Yeah. Um, hey, can I yeah. be can I can I be personal really quick? Sure. Um, so I have a daughter serving a mission in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and uh, Gus, what you said about loving um, that that really hit. In fact, I kind of wanted to jump off the call and and record a voice memo for her. Uh, a couple of days ago, we were on the call, and she was talking about how the the summer was cooking right humid yeah. hot in the city nobody's out on the streets and uh she said it was slow and i said um how's the finding going and the way she looked at me was like i'm saying that's not okay grace uh 
And after this call, I'm going to record a voice memo to make sure she understands that I love her yeah. and that it's okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because it yeah. is. Yeah. I, and I don't know where that came from. I, 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 well, I know where it came from. I know as a missionary, I was miserable when I wasn't teaching and I don't want my daughter to be miserable. Sure. Yeah. That's where the yeah. face came from. Yep. But the way she looked at me when I asked that question, I wasn't a proud dad moment right there. Yeah. So I appreciate, I appreciate that, that rule, right? You want the rule for raising happy kids. Here's the list. Yeah. Love them. Love them. That's it. You know? Yeah. Love yeah. Them. Yep. I appreciate well, that. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and good that you, that you see it as, as quickly as you did. Well, it's two days old. But still, you know, that that could be the kind of thing that someone does. That's that's a lie. That's that's kind of thing someone looks back 20 years on and says, gosh, I wish I I could have. Yeah, Yeah. but that's a lie. It's not two days old. I knew I needed to do this yesterday. Yeah. And it didn't get done. Right. So we'll get it. We'll get it done. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Can we talk a little bit about Glenda? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. How does Glenda come in your life? And talk to me a little bit about that that second Um, chapter. Glenda came into my life um, online. Um, what the heck was it called? Uh, LDS Singles, you know, Match.com for Mormons. And um, I'm glad you didn't it, say Tinder. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> and well, here this is interesting. <clears throat> um, I was on Match and uh, met uh, an LDS woman there, and you know, it was like this whirlwind thing, and we're engaged and. Um, we, we got disengaged. <laughs> it, it did not end well. <laughs> but <clears throat> I looked at, at the circumstance afterward and I thought, man, I've seen that movie before. I've been in that movie. I don't like that movie. I don't like how it ends. <clears throat> and so I, I went on a fast. It was the only time in my life that I, I didn't want female companionship. <clears throat> you know, I just stepped back from it. And uh, one of my daughters, my daughter, Erica, who's now um, in her 40s and, and with grown sons and, and a 12-year-old daughter is uh, a student at the University of Utah. But anyway, she said, make a list, Dad. Make a list of what you want in, in the woman you want to marry. So I, you know, she was after me about that for weeks. Dad, you make your list? No, I didn't make, <laughs> make your list, Dad. So finally I did. I sat down and, you know, wrote in a couple of bursts and, and I thought, okay, I got to transcribe this or I won't be able to read it. Um, so I sat down and I transcribed it. There were 55 items on my list. Yes, I'm a little OCD here. <laughs> and you ask a writer to write a list, you're going to get a list of 55 things. As it turned out. Well, <laughs> as it also turns out, of the 55 things on my list, Glenda is 53 of them. She doesn't play tennis and she doesn't ski. <laughs> Um, it was, it was about the third time we were out, I think, which was like about th- you know, three times in four days. Um, and I mentioned the list. She said, you ever let me see this list you're talking about? And I said, yeah, yeah, there's one of the glove books. We'd been hiking up at, uh, it doesn't matter where we were hiking anyway. So she looks it over and she goes, I hit pretty high on a lot of these. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the line in Jerry Maguire when when uh, Dorothy says, you had me at hello. Uh, Glenda had me at, but of course. Uh, we were emailing and I said, can I phone you? And she replied, but of course. And we 
I called, we talked for about 45 minutes. Um, we, we went to dinner, spontaneously set up another date where we went and you know, browsed through uh, Phoenix Art Museum and talked about ourselves. And then the, the actual date we had set up was to go hiking uh, on the Saturday. And I remember thinking we went hiking at a place called Tato Natural Bridge. Um, and when we're in this one spot, we're thinking, wow, this lady is really game. Glenda's 5'1". And we're on this area where you got to kind of step around this big boulder. Well, I'm 5'10". It's not that big a deal. She really struggled getting around. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. This lady's really game. Well, she told me probably a couple of years after we got married, she said, I thought you were testing me. <laughs> she said, I couldn't walk without hurting till Wednesday. <laughs> Well, she passed so, the test, right? Yeah, as it turned out. Um, so anyway, we, let's see, we first went out on like September 4th or 5th, and we got married on October 26th. And, wow. You know, said, wow, that's really compressed. Well, yeah, but I mean, we were together every night. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we'd both been married, and we knew what we did not want, and we knew what we did want. And so... At nearly 65, I married the love of my life. And it's it's awesome. been nothing, it's been nothing but good. Um, yeah. you know, she's she's funny, she's smart. Um, sounds like she needs to get on the show. She would be wonderful on your show. <laughs> yeah. She would. Yeah. I mean, she's she's you know, the, the farmer's daughter from Greenwood, South Carolina. Um <laughs> And what she would tell you is she was raised in the South. She is not a Southerner. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, she's, she's lived a lot of places. She's lived in Germany yeah. for three years. Or, you know, when we, when we were having dinner the first time we were together, I said, I don't hear any regionalism when you speak. She said, well, I was an army wife for 10 years. Well, what she has told me since is when she was probably in, I don't know, maybe seventh or eighth grade, she decided she was not going to talk like the people around her. She was not going to talk like her parents who were from Northern Alabama or, you know, the, her classmates who were from South Carolina. There, there are times when, when she relaxes, it comes out, but um, she keeps it on a pretty tight leash. Uh, mm. I've never heard her say y'all. <laughs> I say y'all more than she does. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she's. Uh, well, congratulations. She's most, thank you. She's the most remarkable person I've ever met. I love that. Gus, we're we're uh we're we're big on on honoring people in this show, and you know you've you've talked about a lot of uh, influential people in your life. Is there anyone that you'd like to take a moment and honor? Uh, yes, in this space. As a matter of fact, I would. I, I would like to honor my first wife, um, Vicki Lee Kernig. She is to this moment the most influential person in my life. There are things that I do that I would not have gotten into without her um, more than encouragement. Um, okay, this was a case of you should do this that was absolutely correct. She said, you should look at a broadcasting school. Well, I did. And, you know, it's, it's led to a career in broadcasting that started in 1975, and here we still are. Yeah. Um, you know, she, she does, well, she and Glenda both do more things well than any of the people I know. I mean, they're very different in a lot of ways, but uh, both very smart, you know, 
Um, yeah, so I, I would definitely, uh, I definitely want to honor Vicky. Um, you know, we're we're cordial when we see each other. In fact, she lives, she and, and her man live about less than ten minutes from from where I'm sitting right now. Yeah. How many kids? How many kids do you have? I have nine children. And are they are they scattered? Are they all? Uh, they're close? they're actually it's kind of like target shooting. They're they're grouped. Um, <laughs> Clustered. <laughs> but yeah, there 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 are two here in the valley. Uh, there are two in Carlsbad, California. Um, there are two in Billings, Montana, and there are three in uh, the Salt Lake Valley. So they're in pods. Yeah, yeah. Those are so, also pretty good places to go visit too. Well, they are. They are. Yeah. You know, when I lived in Montana, and I would hear people say, "Oh, it's so sad when the kids move away," and I'd think, "No, it's not. I mean, you, you get to go places." That's you true. Know, my That's my eldest true. daughter and her family lived in. Uh, outside Charlotte, North Carolina for about five years. I'd, I'd have never gone to Charlotte if she hadn't been there. Um, you know, I, having, having two daughters in North County, I, it, it's a bad time if I'm not getting over there every few months. Yeah, um, right, right. <laughs> you know, and it's an easy drive. Yeah, um, that is an easy drive. I didn't mean to cut you off. Were there, no. were there others that you... Uh... Yeah, was was there anyone else that you would like to honor in this space? As a uh, man together? named Art Rosenbaum, who has since passed away, he was a sports director at, at the San Francisco or uh, the news, yeah, sports editor at the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, that was my first job in journalism. I was 18 years old, and they paid me to pay attention to sports. <laughs> I mean, <yeah. laughs> it was a die and go to heaven job for an 18 year old. Yeah, yeah right. Doing it for nothing. <laughs> um, the, uh, the journalism advisor at City College of San Francisco recommended me for the job. <laughs> my, my predecessor, a sports department copy boy, had gone to dinner one night and didn't come back. <laughs> I don't think anything bad happened to him, but they, you know, they never saw the kid again. Anyway. Wow. So, <laughs> Their so loss get, is your gain. Literally, it yeah. is, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> if somebody took him out, I need to send them a thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So anyhow, uh, Art was on vacation when I was hired, and he you know, came back, met, and he uh, brought a, a news release over to my over to my desk and said, uh, "Yeah, give me one paragraph on this, and then when you get it done, just just bring it over to me." And we'll, you know. So I said, "Oh, okay. Well, you know, I mean, I was the star writer from high school and junior college. I knocked this thing out. Bring it over to him, and Art looks at it and he goes, "Oh, yeah, this." this is good. Yeah. Well, I'm just floating. And he takes, you know, a copy pencil about as big as my thumb. He said, but I wonder if maybe here, if instead of this, her sentence is gone. <laughs> we could maybe say this. He writes six words. <laughs> he, get, he's, he goes through the thing. And the only thing original when he gets to the end was the period. That was the only <laughs> period at the end of the graph that I'd put there. That was it. <laughs> So yeah, just just um, you know, just retype that with those few changes that I made, and, and then just you know, have send that back to the proposal. <laughs> well, he wasn't being sarcastic, you know. Well, I trudge back to my desk and I type this up. I was like, I'm never going to be a decent sports writer ever. Well, over the next I don't know, maybe month, every once in a while, he'd give me a sheet, a press release. Here, rewrite this for me. Well, you know, with the second one, I was starting to dread it. And in each one, he would change less. Well, the last one, 
he looked at it and said, yeah, good. And he said, oh, and from now on, when I give you something, don't, don't bring it over to me. Just, you know, rewrite it and, and give it to him so they can send it back. It was a learning moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, a man, another man who since passed on, Roy Gibson was his name. He was uh, a news director at a TV station in uh, Salt Lake City and uh, later a, a professor of journalism at the University of Utah. I applied for a job and he talked to me about the difference between writing for the eye and writing for the ear. And I nodded my head like I knew what he was talking about. And he gave me some copy to rewrite. And he said, yeah, just send this up to me and, you know, we'll see where it goes. Well, I, you know, typed it up, sent it up and he sent it back and he said, this is good print copy, but I couldn't use this on TV and here's why. Well, I didn't get the job, but I got a wonderful lesson. And when I got into TV, I didn't know I wanted to be in television. I wasn't looking for a job, but I decided I wanted to be a TV sportscaster. And I started writing for television. I'd had that wonderful lesson from Roy Gibson on how to write for the ear instead of writing for the eye. And I mean, it, you know, here we are, got to be close to 50 years on. And I, I still remember that. And those are, those are very pivotal experiences in my life. Gus, what, what gives you hope these days? I know who wins. You know, Elder Holland talks about, we know which team's going to win. It's just a question of which jersey we want to wear. I believe that things in my life will get better because they always have. When, when my marriage, my first marriage was really circling the drain, I remember praying one night and saying, Heavenly Father, we, we can't. We can't go on another 40 years like this. This cannot be what, what you have in mind for us. And the next day, my wife told me she was leaving. Yeah, okay, that, that sounds, you know, glib and nasty and snotty. Uh, answer the prayer. But we'd stop being good for each other at all. You know, and, and that, was, that was very much an answer to a prayer. And good things happened in my life. It was, uh, it was a couple of years before I met Glenda, but I had the experience at Mesa Community College. Um, I met people that I would not have met otherwise. You know, uh, that's what gives me hope. Things in my life always get better. Not immediately. Um, and, and I don't, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a patient person. Uh, one thing I'm struggling with right now, I, I had uh, two hip replacement surgeries and, uh, I'm finding after the second one, the recovery is, is different than the first one. Now, I, it's like I can't get enough sleep. And uh, the physical therapist that I'm seeing, and I had a conversation with uh, someone from the surgeon's office and I explained what's going on. And she said, yeah, that's, that's you know about how that is. And the physical therapists say, you're making great progress. Glenda tells me I'm making great progress. Yeah, but <laughs> I want to feel right now today the way I'm going to feel in two months. Yeah. Right. Which, which is nuts. But, <laughs> you know, um, but I mean, even at that things are better, you know, the last time I flew, which was March of last year, I had all I could do to put my feet on, on the yellow feet that you're supposed to stand on when they x-ray you mm. um, because the, the arthritis in my hips was so severe. You know, I mean, I got to a point, I, I couldn't stay with my feet more than about eight inches apart. Wow. 
well, that that's changed. <laughs> um, and no, I'm not where I want to be, but but I can feel the difference. So um, things in my life are getting better. You know, I'm I'm living in the nicest home that I've ever lived in. It's not fancy. It's but it's it's comfortable. It has the space we need. Um, there are no stairs, <laughs> which gets to be a bigger deal all the time. Um, you know, I'm for years the guy who uh, there was a guy who was the high priest group leader in Billings, Montana, my ward there, and he would tell this story about every two weeks about how he was driving with someone and he see someone and he said, oh, there's my best friend. You know, and it was his wife and he'd wave. And, you, know, and, you know, get some other stories, man. <laughs> <laughs> but what also bothered me is that um, I wasn't married to my best friend, uh, nor was she. Well, I'm married to my best friend now. And it's remarkable. I don't tell that story all the time like my friend Alan did, but, you know, it's, it's nice having, having that assurance. Yeah, I, I just look out into the future and I, I see good things. I, I love that that outlook. You know, you, you talk about things in life will get better because they always have. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, we have that. We, we started off today talking about change. Yeah. You know, and it's it's inevitable, right? It's it's going to come at us at, in all aspects of our lives. And, and um, you know, we have a choice to make on how we how, how we deal with that change yeah. and, and how we react to that. And, and sometimes admittedly I'm, I'm better than others, uh, you know, in, in accepting that change, but mm-hmm. I love that outlook of, you know, and, and again, going back to a point you made earlier too, Gus, about looking back and, and seeing the successes, yeah. that, identifying the successes and then, and then understanding there's a pattern there. Yeah, right? that's right. Even though that's things right. are rough now, I've had successes and yeah. things moving forward will be good. Yeah. Well, and Tyler, let's connect that. that. Let's connect that to that thought that you and I had before Gus came on of just like, if there are people that are feeling hopeless, yeah, perhaps looking back, you'll see some things. You'll see some lessons given to you when you're 11 year old, right? You'll see yeah. some, you'll see some evidence that the hand of God is leading you along, you know, and, and Gus, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today and just that, and just that journey. Oh, um, thank you. This has been great. It's been you know, I, I hope I didn't ramble too many times. No, are you kidding me? Like I could, yeah. I could just wipe the wipe the schedule for the rest of the day and hang out with you. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking of of you being an 11 year old kid and saying, right? I I don't I don't want to die. Yeah. And that I leads can remember us, the I can remember right now the passion I felt then. Yeah that that leads me to be thinking of. Our guy George Bailey on the bridge, right? Yeah, yeah. I want to live again. Yeah, I want to live again. Life was messy, right? Life is messy for all of us. Oh, it is. But, but in that that spirit of I, I want to live again, we know how the movie ends. We end our podcast every every week with that 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 same thought, right? George Bailey's surrounded by friends and family, and his little brother comes home, yeah. war hero, right? Yeah. And he raises the glass and says to my my big brother George, the richest man in town. And so, Gus, I'm dying to know, in your mind, from where you sit, looking back, looking ahead, what does it mean to you to be considered the richest man in town? Uh, 
we're, we're into that old man cries thing territory. Um, I am a word guy, but I don't have words to describe how gratifying that is. The, the kindness and the respect that I feel from the two of you and Ty, gosh, we've got history. We talked about that. Um, it means the world. You know, we, we, we're with ourselves all the time. So we see ourselves at our worst. And when someone sees more than the worst in us and draws that out, it's very therapeutic. Fills my heart. I'm going to yeah. let that wash over us for a I'm minute. I'm going to let that wash over, man. That, that's not dead air. That, that air is very alive. <laughs> yeah. And I would say to you, Gus, um, you know, it's it's been fun to, to, to spend the last couple hours talking and, and hearing about the journey, as Mike said, because, you know, the, as, as we talk, the, the richness of your life is apparent, right. And, and the blessings, uh, uh, that, that are in your life and are, are apparent. And, and, and I love the lessons that you taught today. And, and, you know, one of the things that that's interesting of the, the, with this podcast is that Mike and I, we get the opportunity to hear from people that listen to, to the, to our guests, right. And mm-hmm. they send us emails and texts and social media messages. And, and I guarantee that someone's going to listen to you and, and find it, find that nugget of truth that that's going to spur them to, to take the next step and move forward. I, I just love some of the lessons today that, that you've taught that, that I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, implementing in my own, in my oh, own journey. Goodness. So I appreciate that. Well, it's been, one, it's been a pleasure. And for me too, one thing, and maybe this is just to, to tie it up um, for all the challenges and, you know, all the things right now that I, I wish weren't, but are, I like my life and I can honestly say it's good to be me. I love well, that. Gus, it, it's good to know you. Yeah. Um, we've never met. It's a crazy world. 2021. Right. Yeah, but yeah. I feel like, uh, I feel like I'd, I'd go to battle with you. And, um, and that's a common feeling that we have at the, at the end of this. And when people ask me, you know, what does the Holy ghost feel like? Um, I know, I know when I'm when I'm feeling the Holy Ghost when I'm learning things as I'm talking. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I say had, something. You go. How did I know that? I didn't know I knew that. <laughs> I've had that experience where I've been reminded of some eternal truths in our time together, and uh, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna commit to you to to honor the lessons that you've given me and try oh. to go be my best self because I can honestly tell you, Gus. I feel like you're trending and you're your best self right now. Well, you know, so- we talk, we talk to people all the time that are like, Oh yeah, my best self was 20 years ago. Dang it. That's yeah. offensive. It yeah. Is. It Amen. Is. yeah. That's offensive. Yeah. That Let's go offensive. be our best self right yeah. now with the exactly day that right. the opportunity exactly that's been right. given. Yeah. So. yeah, absolutely. I love well, it, man. I, I love it. Thank you so much. That was a well, home run into the corn. <laughs> thank you Gus, it was a blast love you appreciate you and and look forward to, f- to further conversations in the future oh look forward to it myself thanks guys all right okay. thanks guys bye-bye bye
<laughs> to my big brother George, the richest man in town. <laughs>